So let's talk about the video footage itself and what happens to it. The camera records 100% of the time when you are out on your route, but only uploads footage when it is triggered by you or in cases previously mentioned. Only a limited set of authorized people have access to driver video footage. And again, don't worry. There is no live feed functionality to the video system. No one will be watching you while you are on your route. There are three ways video footage is used. By the Amazon Last Mile Trust and Safety Team, for coaching by your DSP, and for investigations such as vehicle and package theft or property damage. Now you may be asking yourself, is there a way to turn the cameras off? The answer is yes. With the ignition in the off position, pressing and holding the driver alert button for five seconds will turn the driver facing camera off so you can have privacy while taking a break. The driver facing camera will turn off in 10 seconds. Outward facing cameras will continue to run for up to 20 minutes to document any situations such as vehicle or package theft, driver harassment, or collisions from moving vehicles. When the ignition is turned back on, the cameras will automatically turn back on, indicated by both driver facing LEDs turning green. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about the Netrodyne DriverEye camera system. Safety is our top priority at Amazon, and it's our hope that this new system will give drivers and delivery service partners peace of mind while out delivering smiles for our customers. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 105 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. Before we get into the topic for this week's show, just want to give a big shout out to our girl Grimes, leaving apartheid Clyde. <laughs> she, she got in she got that seed and now she's gonna get that child support forever we're talking what a cool meal every month easy <laughs> oh it's um you know now reconciliation will begin it's um <laughs> the nationalist party <laughs> the nationalist party is done <laughs> She she's gonna be set up for like Japanese streetwear for like a decade at least. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking oh, God. leaving him right after the Met Gala too. Like she got that ticket to the Met Gala. Fucking did that shit with her AR fifteen uh, sword or whatever the fuck weird Amazing. Ass shit she love, did. Love you know she's keeping she, that shit in the separation. She's like, this is mine. <laughs> I couldn't decide whether she was dressed like a Final Fantasy character or like a special edition uh, Breath of the Wild armor from for, uh, <laughs> for, for like the new Switch for Breath of the Wild 2 or some shit. It's, it was amazing. Who, the, you know, that like when I get bored looking at the costumes that rich people flaunt around, it's usually just like, look at me, I got money, I got money, but not like. I have money. It's not like I'm going to put my life savings on this dress and you can't touch it. Like that's real flaunting. You know, put a blood diamond, put 20 blood diamonds on your fucking uh, chain and pull up. And, you know, she didn't do that. But, you know, dressing like a crazy ass a space wizard that might kill someone there. Okay. You get it. You know that you're not in the real world. I'm I'm here for it. I'm supporting it. <laughs> Wasn't there a rapper that had a, a like a diamond in his forehead that he got ripped out at a show? Damn, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I think that was um, it was a little Uzi vert. 
Oh, that sounds like some little Uzi Vert shit for sure. Yeah. $24 million. That's how much that diamond cost him. Jesus. <laughs> Although you got to get on Beyonce's level and, and do a photo shoot with a literal blood diamond from South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> you guys oh remember that? God. Like that was only uh, that was only a fucking month ago that uh, uh, Beyonce did did that photo shoot with Jay Z where she had on a a hundred and twenty eight carat yellow Tiffany diamond that was discovered in South Africa in eighteen seventy seven. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I didn't realize uh, I, I should have done more research." And it's like, "Done more research on what? Colonialism." <laughs> we're not asking you to read friends for now we're asking you to not pull up with the fucking blood diamond <laughs> you know? it's not that hard it's not that complex <laughs> that shit was wild That's a, that was a mask off moment for sure <laughs> Jesus oh, oh my god it was amazing <laughs> I, I, Grimes is a gun blade. I mean, props for the, <laughs> the, the, the innovation there. Like that, yeah. you know, I've seen some final fantasy as gun blades before, but to make an actual blade out of a gun. That <laughs> That's what it look. If you're going to have surplus capital, that's what it's for. Do that shit. <laughs> Don't pretend to me you're a regular person and wear suits and dresses and shit. I, where is your gun blade? Pull up in a keyblade. I don't care. Just pull up in some <laughs> shit that lets me know. <laughs> you know? Kingdom Hearts shit. I wonder if she still thinks that, that communism is not a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, oh my God. How long do you think it will take before she shifts gears and starts, you know, talking about communism again? I'm personally looking forward to the Azalea Banks Grimes uh, apartheid Clyde diss track. I think it'll be pretty, pretty. Uh... <laughs> that shit is gonna be unlistenable. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, that shit is gonna be unlistenable. <laughs> we'll find out soon. We'll find out soon, and then he'll make his own response. It'll be oh, great. Fuck. <laughs> don't don't wish this great. into existence. Don't lathe it. I'm not wish. It's already waiting for us. It's the eschaton. You know, <laughs> we're moving towards that end point. It's theological. He's going to recruit Chet Hanks to to facilitate that. Song. Okay, now you're now you're touching the monkey paw. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, somewhere Elon has said in the back of his head, he's like, "I had a white boy summer all the time when I was a youth." Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> This, this week, we're going to dive into uh, uh, an old Ballywick of ours, Amazon, of, of course, um, because it's just more shit every day, every day, new shit, more shit, worse shit, bad shit that, that's coming out of reporting from Amazon. I mean, just a massive shout out to Ed's colleague, Lauren Cowrie Gurley, who just is, you know, just just, just the best on the Amazon beat. Yep. No, nobody Miss does... Libby. That nobody does investigative reporting. I mean, in general, like Lauren, but especially targeting Amazon. You know, I, I, I was like, you know, rereading her 
articles, which we're going to dive into and dive into uh, a kind of, you know, more into the Netrodyne system, this, you know, telematics, biometric, artificial intelligence bullshit that Amazon has been, um, you know, mandating. It's like, you know, truck driver contractors to install in vehicles. Uh, but, you know, when I was rereading this piece, I was thinking, I was like, Man, does Amazon PR have like a, they must have some kind of automated klaxon that goes off whenever like uh, you, Ed, or Lauren like post a new thing about Amazon on, on Motherboard. Being like, ah, oh, shit, oh, shit, <laughs> we're going into red alert. Mother, Motherboard has put out a new piece about us. It's going to do massive numbers on Twitter. People are going to get really mad at us again. Uh, you know, all hands on deck. Mm. You know, they're, they're never going to win, you know, uh, no evil shall prosper in our house or blogs or, uh, or, uh, website, you know, it is. And, it, you know, one thing I also like about Lauren's work, especially when compared with all the other reporting, there's a lot of voice from nowhere stuff, you know, um, that likes to pretend, uh, maybe there's something to why Amazon is treating or doing this, right? Maybe the cameras are justified because package theft is a real and serious problem, right? Um, or maybe these services, these two services are being rolled out because uh, Amazon just has need from the consumers. And her reporting has always been very clear. Even if you believe that, it's really hard to like, why should you care about that when you spend a second talking to a worker? Mm-hmm. And they tell you exactly like with the real cost of this thing. It really doesn't matter if there is a, some rationale for Amazon to do something. It doesn't really matter if there is some sort of consumer demand for something. And usually when there's a consumer demand for something, it's cultivated and not like spontaneous in general because the needs and wants are constructed, right? But usually even, you know, when you have all that, none of that really matters if the labor required to do it uh, is demeaning and hurtful and violent, right? Our needs and trumps don't, our needs and wants don't trump those of the people who are involved in making the things, especially when they're made invisible. They, that's when it should matter even more, right? So I've, I've always really liked that about a reporting, constant focus on the workers and, and letting them speak and letting them talk about working conditions and how they just feel internally as a human being, um, being in a, in a workplace, especially at Amazon, where they're being spied on, where they're being controlled, where they're being regimented, where they're being constantly demeaned, right? And debased. Uh, these are all things that some the sto- you know the best reporting and the best stories elsewhere highlight on them, but the mean does not. I think, except for like really, there's obvious you know there's a really a good crop of labor journalists you know too long to list, but that are like you know friends or comrades and collaborators that do do it, and like you know them and Lauren, I think are really on point all the time with it. Exactly, exactly. I, I think you, you just you hit the, the nail on the head here. It's that what, what Lauren is doing, what makes her work so impactful and so important is that she's not doing tech reporting. She's doing labor reporting. Right. And like, you know, that's our that's our line on TMK, too, that like the best analysis of technology is not actually analysis of technology. It's anal- analysis of politics, of economics, of labor, of, of those things and how technology plugs into those, uh, flows out of them, uh, you know, all those relations. But it's it really is a question of what do you front 
uh, as the primary and Lauren fronts the labor as the primary, right? And I mean, you know, I'm a shout out your reporting and your, your, your commentary here too, Ed, on Motherboard is that like, this is something that you guys do. And the fact that, and, and I think this is also why Motherboard is the place to go, uh, for news and, and, and reporting and analysis of this stuff is that, you know, Motherboard is not really a tech site. It's a, it's a site about the politics and labor of tech. Uh, and that, and that, that's, that is a crucial difference here. So yeah, I mean, and, and, and it also goes back to this larger truth that, you know, this larger drum that we beat constantly as well, that like just below the surface of so many stories about, you know, quote unquote AI or automation, uh, in essentially any industry, there is a real story about labor just waiting to be uncovered. Analyzed, reported on. You know, it's just the the sad fact of the of the world that a lot of times people don't scratch below the surface, right? They get they they uh, they get distracted by the dangling keys, and they they don't look beyond the the AI or the automation and actually find that that story about labor and politics. One of the reasons why we do the line on political economy about technology is because technology is treated like a magical machine, you know, in a, in a, in a black box in a different sense, in a more grandiose sense of the way the world, where it is usually deployed to just talk about mechanisms beyond like observation for one reason or another. When most people are talking about tech, they're ignoring the history, they're ignoring the geopolitics, they're ignoring where the money is, they're ignoring um, the geography of it, they're ignoring like the actual infrastructure and how, and they're ignoring the distribution, they're ignoring who works in it, like they're ignoring a lot of things, right? So, so reporting on very specific elements of tech is usually more insightful than like tech mm. reporting, right? And so reporting on like labor or reporting on capital markets or reporting on like the history of it or reporting on the financing of it, right? In very segmented forms, always give us the insights, political insights. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, n- not to say that what you and Lauren do is easy, but it is also the case that finding these stories about labor is not hard if you just look for them, right? Like the the thing that I think Lauren does especially so well is just asking the right questions and talking to the right people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that that That's really what it boils down to. Uh, it's not like you have to search you know, really, really hard on this treasure hunt to find the labor story uh, beneath the surface of a of a of a thing about AI or automation. You just have to. You just have to. You just have to look for it. You just have to ask the right questions, talk to the right people, and mm-hmm. the the the. So we're we're gonna get into uh, Lauren's reporting on the net on Netrodyne, which is a a primo example of asking the right questions and talking to the right people. Um, and so we'll, we'll give a little background on, on this kind of development of, uh, Amazon partnering with Netrodyme. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the story has been in the works for, for a while, you know, this year. And, and then after, after we give a little bit of that background, talk through Lauren's reporting, we'll, we'll then kind of pivot as well. Um, like I did some digging into Netrodyne and lo and behold, found a, a really nice uh, insure tech angle here where the Net- Netrodyne as a company is really marketing hard uh, its service, its business to business service and technology as a, a kind of in, uh, as an insure tech, as a piece of insurance technology. Back in March of this year, Lauren wrote a piece 
for Motherboard called Amazon Delivery Drivers Forced to Sign, quote, Biometric Consent Form or Lose Job. And this this was really the, you know, we didn't know at that time that it was, uh, well, no, we did. We did know about Netrodyne at the time, but we didn't know, like, as much about the system at the time, you know, uh, you know, digging into it and, and the, and, and particularly the, the actual effects of that it would have on workers and all that, that Lauren's later reporting most recently revealed. But the writing was on the wall here and, and Lauren caught it, you know, that back in, uh, February, uh, of this year, Amazon announced plans to install this AI powered you know, four lens camera made by Netrodyne in all of its Amazon branded delivery vehicles. Um, but as part of that, that announcement and, and all the, all the, the marketing copy around, you know, this is going to improve safety and the quality of the delivery experience and all that other bullshit around, you know, the, the most customer obsessed company in, on earth and, and shit like that. Um, but as part of this, the drivers had to sign this legal agreement called Vehicle Technology and Biometric Consent, um, which, you know, meant that in, essentially in order to get these contracts to drive for Amazon, transportation, trucking companies, and the drivers themselves would have to give consent to having their photograph, you know, including biometric information um, collected, stored, and used by the company. Uh, they would have to give consent for the technology to track the vehicle location and its movement, uh, including miles driven, speed, acceleration, braking turns, following distance, all this stuff. But, you know, this isn't, a, you know, because it's, you know, it's a legal document in the same kind of vein of like a terms of service or a licensing agreement where it's, it's, it's not a, okay, you know, you agree to this if you give consent, right? It's more, you have to give consent or you don't get, or you don't get to use this technology, which means you don't get to have contracts with Amazon, which means you're, your, your company and all of the drivers that work for your company uh, are going to go bankrupt because you are so dependent on Amazon contracts uh, for, for, for uh, income. You know, it, it really is putting drivers and these uh, contractors over a barrel and saying, you know, this is what you have to do. And we, we, there's, there's, no, there's no negotiation here. There's no room for uh, agreeing to parts of it and not agreeing to other parts. It's, it's all or nothing. One thing that, you know, these, you know, these consent packages, right, or these uh, decrees that you basically have to sign, I think they also remind me of the arbitration clauses. I mean, in arbitration clauses in general, but like of um, within the gig economy, um, in which you know you con- you you sign something, it's constantly changing. You sign away your rights to challenge it. You also sign away your rights to um, not so much as signing your rights away to gain new information or to do other or to you know, exercise agency in certain ways because it's already denied from you to begin with, right? But the contract and the arbitration clauses or the prevention of class action lawsuits already put you in a position where you will not ever be allowed legally to have the power to resist new changes. And so low-key, you're agreeing to them. You're not actually agreeing, agreeing to them. You're being coerced into accepting them. They're being forced down your throat, right? And, so, and that's contingent on employment. And in a way... That is, I feel like 
what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Embla- em- emblematic of the tech industry's insistence on how it represents like the you know, the 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 tip of the spear for like disrupting and unoptimizing and making efficient relations in the market, but also in the labor and in, in labor markets and in capital markets and regulations and industry, right? But a lot of it relies on this silent coercion, forcing labor and disciplining labor to do what it wants and needs to do. You need to disabuse yourself of the notion that you're going to be able to resist us and you need to disabuse yourself of the notion that you control anything about yourself once you enter into a contract with us. We are the arbiters, right? You are coming here and we are giving you the job and you are accepting the terms and conditions for that work. Nothing more and nothing less. Part of this is also this larger creep towards that software licensing agreement model of what are called boilerplate contracts, where they're not open for negotiation. It's either an agree to everything or, or decline, which means you decline access to services and, and so on. But it's this model that was really kind of pioneered by soft, by, you know, intellectual property regimes around software that we see tech companies starting to deploy more and more as a form of legal power. I mean, if you look at the actual vehicle technology and biometric consent form that drivers had to uh, agree to, nowhere in there from what from my reading does it actually say anything about Netrodyne, which is a really key thing here because instead what they talk about, you know, to quote from from this this uh, legal contract, the vehicles you operate while making deliveries may come equipped with technology such as telematics devices that collect GPS and navigation-related information, cameras with video and f- photograph capabilities, and sensors, parentheses, the, quote, technology. And technology is, ca- is a capital T here. So what this means is there's a lot of legal language here where by saying technology with a capital T, right, the technology means that this is not a contract or, or yeah, it's not a contract that's not just about Netrodyme. This is much broader. This is a blanket contract that is about, you know, any technology um, that, that Amazon wants to roll out is included in this contract. Uh, so if they decide they want to not partner with Netrodyne anymore and they want to use another technology or they want to develop their own thing um, or they acquire Netrodyne and, and tweak it like they, they would like Ring and make it their own thing, all of that is still captured by this legal contract because nowhere in there does it specifically say Metrodyne. Instead, it says the technology, which can account for anything. And, and also you have to understand as well the way that they say may come equipped with technology such as telemac devices. That language of such as is also a very uh, broadly inclusive terminology, um, which means that it's, it's not, they're not narrowing themselves down to a technology that works specifically like Netrodyne's does, but to the whole broad range of technologies now or in the future that could be included under that verbiage of such as. I mean, this it's just really interesting to like to have a little bit of fluency in like the legalese around how these contracts are written to understand the amount of legal power they are giving themselves with a contract that seems to be specifically about 
the use of, of netrodine in these specific cases, but in reality is written in a way to be all-inclusive from now into the future of all potential technologies that fall under, uh, you know, these biometric uh, information technology, data collecting uh, uh, apparatuses. It's very, it's very clever uh, in a lot of ways. (laughs) I mean, maybe they deserve to rule the world. (laughs) Maybe, maybe this is them proving that they have the chops for it, right? (laughs) We have created an, a Byzantine system that ensnares everybody to do what we want. You know, yeah. maybe maybe that's what we need. We need a system of contracts. If we just did that, maybe we should let them rule the world just for a year or two. See what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're kind of already doing case. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, <laughs> narrator. They were already ruling the world. <laughs> yeah. They already controlled every institution and in society. Sorry. It goes back to something we talk we've talked about before about like the the only real innovation that happens here is uh, lawyers. <laughs> you know the innovation oh, yeah. in in, right. in the 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 lawyers that that uh you know whether it's the data centers that we talked about whether it's this the Netrodine shit whether it's uh, Peter Till's uh, tax evasion loopholes whether it's you know I I think we only just briefly touched on. Um, like Amazon's Byzantine system to get around import tariffs by like importing stuff into that big giant Elysium dystopian uh, warehouse they have in Tijuana. But that's not really a, um, you know, they import stuff from China into uh, into their warehouse in Tijuana so they don't have to pay tariffs. But then that's not really a distribution center. Instead, it's a repackaging center where they package stuff up and then ship it over the border to their major fulfillment center in San Diego to be distributed across the U.S. But because of NAFTA, they don't they don't have to pay tariffs, uh, import pricing or any of that stuff. So it's like beautiful. (laughs) Shout out to Amazon for for not only employing these like phalanxes of lawyers that come up with these um, uh, like unimaginably Byzantine loopholes, but then Amazon actually, uh, you know, impl- actually does it. You know, <laughs> they put right. the fantasy of lawyers uh, into material action. You know, somewhere Jeff Bezos is uh, just like writhing his hands together, like Lex Luthor going, I've got more money than God. I dare them to try to stop me. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does. What can we do about it? Nothing uh, for now. Yeah. I got a couple of things we can do, but I'd have to censor it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we can't let Jassy off the hook now. You know, Bezos is still the, the man behind the man behind the man behind the throne. Right. And, you know, old uh, Andy Jassy's got, you know, he, he's, in the, he's in the crosshairs too here as well. He, he doesn't escape any of this culpability. But, you know, moving on from this, this piece that Lauren wrote about, these, about the biometric uh, consent form that uh, drivers had to sign or, you know, or lose their job. 
there there was a piece that well there was there was one quote she had in here from a, a spokesperson Deborah Bass uh, a spokesperson for Amazon which I just found very funny right it, it, it you know made the same line of like net, quote Netrodyne cameras are used to help keep drivers and the communities where we deliver safe and then you know they they go through and talk about how you know they piloted the they did a pilot of the technology from April to October in 2020 um, on over 2 million miles of delivery routes before deciding to roll it out on like fleet wide. And then they, and then the, the spokesperson's quote ends by saying, don't believe the self-interested critics who claim these cameras are intended for anything other than safety. <laughs> self-interested critics had me just fucking right. rolling right. on the ground. <laughs> what, what's your interest in, you know, my interest in not having Amazon cameras? Um, it's so that I can steal packages. Obviously, there's no. I have no other reason to be concerned about it. I I, I don't think I've ever heard a company paint its critics as self interested. That was like that was just very funny to me. Being like, buddy, if I were self interested, I'd be a spokesperson for Amazon, not a critic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, so Lauren's piece ends with, and this is a this will be a nice transition to her much larger investigative piece about the actual workings, uh, the operations, and 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 outcomes of the Netrodyne system. But Lauren's piece ends with, and here she's quoting from an owner of an Amazon delivery company in the Pacific Northwest who she interviewed. "Quote: I had one driver who refused to sign the the biometric consent form. It's a heartbreaking conversation when someone tells you that." You're their favorite person they have ever worked for, but Amazon just micromanages them too much. And, you know, what kind of goes unsaid here is that, and I had to fire this person because they didn't sign the, the biometric consent form. That micromanaging is what I think now gets us into uh, Lauren's latest piece, which is titled Amazon's AI cameras are punishing drivers for mistakes they didn't make, which I think really pinpoints on a lot of this is that it's not only that these are, you know, surveillance cameras installed in, in these vans and these trucks, um, but, you know, and, and they're, you know, taking control away from the workers. They're doing micromanaging in a way that uh, was, was heretofore un, uh, like impossible. You know, that is something that I don't think we talk enough about with these like, uh, new forms of, of, of surveillance, whether it's working from home surveillance, whether it's, you know, these cameras installed in, in trucks or any, or, or, you know, the, the, the systems in the warehouses, whatever, right? Any of these new forms of employment of employee surveillance, it's, this is not like, uh, an intensification of degree, this is a difference in type, right? Like, like they can micromanage you in a way that the most, over your shoulder, annoying ass boss that you can that you've ever had uh, is is ha has nowhere near the amount of power that one of these uh, cameras does in terms of being able to watch you at all times, micromanage you at all times, but also just be fucking shitty and glitchy and not actually work, but never have to take any of the blame or liability for not working. And it's it's really. Interesting. They are pointing to how since they've installed the cameras, there have been significant drops in accidents and the stop sign violations and signal violations. There's, you know, less driving without a seat belt. Following distance has decreased. Distracted driving has decreased, right? That overall, 
the introduction of this technology has allowed um, safety to massively increase, right? But then the question becomes, okay, so like you have the safety introduction, you, you introduce, let's say it is that's happening and you're introducing more safety, right? But you're also losing a lot of drivers when they do get penalized. They're losing these bonuses, right? And so they're losing the benefits, they're losing the livelihood, they're losing hundreds of dollars in revenue a week that they need to survive that are usually given to train the drivers also and to allow them to make their you know minimum wages or ends meet. So though, then the overriding question becomes like, even if it's not a majority of the drivers who are losing their bonuses, but if but it's a significant enough problem where it's like a real risk and concern, then why uh, roll the system out at all, right? I mean- like, or is it a real, it is, is it justified to trade off and have, okay, you're, you're saying that you have all the, uh, these increased safety metrics, but you're also putting increased demands on the drivers because they already have strict delivery times and quotas and schedules that they have to work on. And they're now even less able to make ends meet. Like, is the trade off actually worth it? Maybe for, uh, pedestrians and for consumers. But again, like, what about the laborers? Are the laborers feeling when they do this? And laborers don't have feelings. Workers don't have right. feelings. Right. That's your first mistake. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. In, in the words of Michael Jordan, fuck those kids. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, I think that, 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 that nails it here, though, is that the trade-off is for Amazon's per benefit, right? So... You know, we've we've talked about before, and you've you've reported on how, like, uh, you know, Amazon essentially forces or in, incentivizes, nudges, uh, coerces uh, its drivers into driving rec in a reckless fashion, right? To to meet these delivery uh, quotas, um, and so, but but that's a huge liability issue for Amazon if it can be proven that they, you know, make their workers work at a at a pace or in a way that is unsafe. We can talk we can talk more about the like the the piece of legislation that's going through in California right now like I think when when there's more development there right but like you know there's that there's that piece of legislation that would um you know throw transparency on the actual like uh quota systems in Amazon warehouses so that that so that you know it can actually be investigated and regulated in a in a better way where it's not so black boxed of course there's like the spokesperson for some big lobbying group, uh, you know, pro business, uh, warehouse uh, association lobbying group in, in California talked about how, like, yeah, but, the, but, you know, then, the, then the workers are going to be taking advantage of access to bathrooms. If we're, ha if we, if we have to allow them to, to use the bathroom whenever they want, you know, they, they just going to be taking advantage of that. When ultimately what comes down to is liability, right? So like if, if you can prove a case against Amazon that they forced their drivers to ignore stop signs, run red lights, behave, you know, drive in a reckless fashion, speed down the highway, whatever, then that, then, you know, then they're susceptible to being sued and massive fines and penalties, uh, and, and so on. I think we can't underestimate that that is a motivating factor here for the use of the Netrodyne is that ultimately it's about saving Amazon liability, 
right? Where they can say, no, we've invested X number of dollars into worker safety. We take occupational health and safety very seriously. And we, you can tell we do because we're at the bleeding edge of using transportation safety technologies or, you know, turning our warehouse workers into industrial athletes, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. And it, it really does come down to liability, right? It, it, it's about collecting evidence to use against the drivers to say that actually you, the driver, are individually responsible for, for all of this because uh, your your driving behavior does not is not up to the Netrodyne quality metric or whatever. I mean, yeah, even the structure of how it's rolled out, you know, as Lauren talks about, right? It's through the delivery service partner program, which in of itself is already structured to minimize liability for Amazon, right? You have two thousand delivery companies that, that are employing directly employing the hundred and fifteen thousand drivers, right? That are delivering the billions of packages, right? And that Amazon contracts the fucking delivery companies, right? But still dictates pretty strictly how they're supposed to look, operate, uh, move through the digital world, how they're paid, the routes, the safety, and whether or not the cameras are there. So it's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like uh, we're, we are improving safety for all our drivers, but if they also happen to be unsafe, it's not our fault. But also if you want to work with us, you have to implement everything that we say or demand that you do. It's it it's it just is funny that they're able to maintain the the sufficient distance for liability, but still have like this iron tight grip on what it actually looks like to work there. It's like why do you need the why do you need the why do you need to control the working conditions if you're not liable? Well, you know, there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna read those articles or like hope I, I don't I know it's not gonna be a lot of people that are gonna listen to this and think this because I think our listenership is a little bit more wiser to this shit, but there's going to be people that are going to read something like that and go like, well, why should I care about something like this? It's a private company that's trying to, you know, keep an eye on how their drivers are driving. Well, not realizing like many lessons that we've learned from previous episodes on this, even going back as recent as the episode that we did with Chris Gilliard, when we were talking about how sometimes technology that's foisted on some people will eventually become technology. It's going to be forced on all of us. So it's not just, Amazon drivers that potentially might have to do this. Let's just say State Farm decides they want you to put this in your car and to be covered under their insurance. You got to do this. And then Nationwide and all the other insurance carriers. And before you know it, everybody's going to be doing this. So it's not just an Amazon driver problem. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly that's that's exactly right here. And this was that was the one of the first things I thought when I read this piece, too, um, is that like, Obviously, we should all have sympathy with Amazon workers, right? The delivery drivers, the warehouse workers, like we should all have sympathy with them uh, because they're fucking human beings, right? And they're all in, in, you know, they're in the working class along with, you know, the vast majority of us. And so we need to have that, that, that solidarity with them, not just sympathy, solidarity with them. But if we're going to be self-interested critics here, um, as the Amazon spokesperson accuses us of being, um, then yeah, I mean, you're exactly right here, Jeremy, where, you know, this kind of technology uh, is not going to be limited to the Amazon delivery vans. Uh, it already isn't, right? There's already, you know, uh, automotive insurers already use versions of these telematics devices, just ones that don't have 
uh, are not as uh, severe in terms of like, you know, having a camera pointed on you at all times, um, having a, a robotic voice coming up in real time, you know, telling you, uh, distract the driver alert or, you know, following distance, keep safe distance or, you know, like doing that kind of real time, you know, machine vision, uh, monitoring and, and punishment. That this shit already exists in terms of these like, you know, telematics devices that that uh, uh, record when, where and how people drive, use that as ways to, uh, uh, you know, adjust people's premium pricing, do dynamic risk assessments, you know, all this kind of shit like it already exists. This is this is really like, you know, what we talked about with Chris is exactly right, where, you know, it's. The coerced surveillance uh, and, and uh, the luxury surveillance is not, you know, it's not two different spheres. It's a trajectory, right? You start with one and it moves towards the other uh, in some, you know, perhaps in some different fashion. But ultimately, the operations and the, the motivations are the same. So, I mean, let's just talk a little bit about for those who haven't read Lauren's piece who or aren't aware of Netrodyne, just a little lowdown of how this actually works. Um, so it is, it is this, this, uh, camera system that's installed in the cab of, of the van and it's got four, four high definition cameras on it. One pointed at the driver, one pointed out the windshield, uh, and two on the side pointing to, to the, the, um, either side of the car. So they claim that it gives them, I think they said like 260 degree of, of, uh, camera footage, right? So damn near total 360 uh monitoring of 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 uh, from within the vehicle but it's just not that right like the selling point here is that it's supposedly art you know ai powered and so uh lauren quotes from one uh one driver who said every time i need to make a right hand turn it inevitably happens a car cuts me off to move into my lane and the camera in this really dystopian dark robotic voice shouts at me it's so disconcerting. It's so upsetting when I didn't do anything. So what the camera is doing is it's keeping track of your driving behavior. And if it notices that you, uh, you ran a stop sign or you're not keeping a safe following distance from the vehicle in front of you, um, or you're speeding or you take a corner too hard or you have too high of G force, uh, in the car, you know, it goes, it goes through a huge number of different metrics that it keeps track of, uh, or, you know, or distracted driving, right? Like you're, you know, fiddling with the radio or you're looking at your phone or, you know, as we'll get into, um, you are just looking at like your side view mirror and the car thinks that you're doing, a, you're doing distracted driving. It man, it takes all of these quote unquote events, um, as situations of unsafe driving behavior. And it will give, it will do this, it will do like, like an automated voice in the, in the cab of the van telling the driver what they did wrong, right? Basically saying, we've, you know, we've, you know, tracked and we detected another event um, that has happened. And, and beyond that, right, all of this goes into uh, these performance scores that the uh the Netrodyne system then creates. So they, you know, uh they have two two scoring systems um or 
or as they call them, reward systems and rating systems, which is, you know, some just real fucking like euphemistic bullshit, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they have a reward system for positing driving behaviors called driver star. Just also showing how much they think of workers as children to be infantilized, right? Like the idea here is that if you drive really well and you don't have any of these quote unquote events that are detected, then you know you get a gold star, right? You you get a gold star on your homework because you did it all, you you did you did all the math problems and you know, and, and then if you get enough gold stars, you get to go to the prize box um, and get to get things like a, an Amazon branded rain jacket. But you're also forgetting the most important thing. It's unbiased. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is an, as they say, it is an unbiased performance system that just happens to prioritize the needs and concerns of insurers. Right. Unbiased. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so then they have a, then they also, along with this goal, this driver star reward system, you know, because also if you've ever trained a pet, you know that pets behave better to positive reinforcement than punishment. You know, so you need to you need to treat your workers like animals and you need to give them systems of positive reinforcement right. because that's the only thing their little brains can understand. But do not spare the switch. You also do need to punish sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's called crime and punishment, you know. Right in the state. <laughs> that's right. And and so if you do any crimes against the Netrodyne system by having the AI by having the AI de- you know detect any of these unsafe behaviors, then they also have a real time performance rating system that they call Green Zone. Uh, and and this is all this is the real thing here, where uh, this determines yeah if you receive these prizes, but also if you rank up enough of these, if, if the AI machine vision detects enough of these events. Um, then that will impact uh, your driver rating system, which then could come with, um, well, not could, does come with things like being denied bonuses, uh, having your pay subtracted, uh, you know, uh, being punished in terms of, you know, needing to, pro- like, needing to do things like taking, rem- you know, remedial, you know, driver corrective uh, lessons, uh, all the way up to, you know, just being fired or having the company's contract with Amazon terminated. Uh, and, and so, you know, it really is a, a, a reward and punishment system that they've uh, implemented here. The real, the real nut of this as well is, uh, surprise, surprise, this, the, the AI machine vision, the quote-unquote AI machine vision in the Netrodyne system is fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> really no other way to put no. it. <laughs> it does not work. It does not work well at all. <laughs> and this is the real crux of, of Lauren's reporting here is not just like how this actually operates. And this is what I love about what Lauren is doing here as well is that it's really easy to explain how this operates just by looking at the marketing copy of Netrodyne and just doing a little explainer summarizing the company's marketing copy. But what she actually did instead is actually talking to the drivers to say, how does, how does this actually work in practice and how does it affect your actual experience doing labor? What it turns out is that uh, the, the system is just 
chock full of false positives. Uh, you know, she quotes one driver who said, most false positives we get are stop sign violations. Either we stop after the stop sign so we can see around a bush or a tree, you know, a blind corner, and it dings us for that or it catches yield signs as stop signs. A few times we've been in the country on a dirt road where there's no stop sign, but the camera flags a stop sign, right? So this AI machine vision is so faulty, so glitchy, but would you be shocked to learn, Ed, that it's ranked full of false positives, but seemingly no false negatives? What? What? <laughs> Why is that? What do you? What's going uh, on there, Jason? I wonder whose interests are taking priority in the, the, <laughs> in, the in the coding of this system. <laughs> is it is it a system that's constructed to prioritize insurers who would benefit from a large number of no, false? No, no, no. couldn't. Be. <laughs> it's unbiased. It's unbiased. They, it's an unbiased they say system. themselves. It's unbiased. Yeah. I, I'm, it's illegal to say uh, something that's not true. And very clearly, they say it is an unbiased performance system that is a great way for insurers to see which companies pay more attention to driver safety and performance. That just so happens to not fucking work in identifying which companies pay attention to driver safety and performance. Lauren's piece also like I'm, I'm filing it away under this larger case <laughs> that I'm building of uh, uh, well I'm filing it under uh, a lot of folders but <laughs> but it's something that has been a bit of a pet peeve of mine as of late uh, and this is more evidence uh, for for my argument here. I've seen a lot uh, not a lot I've seen I've started to see some people talk about the glitch as like an opportunity for resisting these, these technologies, right? Like, oh, if we can exploit the glitch in these technologies, because it's false to think that these technologies are, are perfect in their operations. They're, they always have inevitable errors. Uh, failure is always happening. Glitches are always happening. But I've seen people try to construct these arguments of a kind of like hacker mentality of like, well, if we could exploit the glitch in these systems, then that could be a way to uh, resist them, uh, a way to, uh, you know, start to, to foil their operations in some way, some way that benefits us, right? But more and more often when I see these systems that are really glitchy and prone to error and fail constantly, it somehow, shockingly, always glitches in the favor of the most powerful interest. It always, er you know, all the, always has errors in ways that uh, impede, hamper, and otherwise harm the least powerful people, whether it's workers, also thinking about, you know, we've talked about with like um, our episode with Astra Taylor a while ago, talking about how like a lot of, you know, the, the social services that are relying on this kind of digitalization, automated decision making, you know, data intensive analysis to decide like who gets access to, uh, you know, like welfare benefits and things like that. 
these systems are glitchy as fuck, but they're often glitchy in ways that keep people from having access to benefits that they deserve. Or um, like in the case of Australia, had a big scandal very recently around what was called robo-debt, where, the, where Centrelink, which is the Australian uh, kind of welfare uh, system and provider, was sending all of these um, automated debt notices to uh, Centrelink recipients saying, you have basically been doing fraud and you owe the, you, the, the, the government, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars uh, in, in payment for uh, these welfare benefits that you, that our system detected you received and you didn't deserve. All of that was wrong. Right. All of that was uh, a fabrication. But surprise, surprise, for some reason, these systems glitch in ways that they seem to be designed to. Right. Which is to categorize false positives uh, for these drivers or to do things that prevent people that kick people off of social services um, that they ought to be receiving. Right. All of these errors and glitches. are a nice alibi for doing what the system is designed to do while giving no, while, while eschewing or, or, or uh, disclaiming any liability or responsibility for the, for those decisions. So, you know, it also stands to one question that emerges, you know, is why we understand on the industry side and, you know, on the market side, why is there's a push for insure tech? Why there's a push to implement this in workplaces, why there's a push by employers to try and rationalize it, why there's a push among certain advocates of artificial intelligence penetrating various parts of life, even if it's Potemkin, to say this is what we should um, organize labor or organize this or that part of our life around. But why, but why do you think, from what you've seen, there tends to be adherence in the public or in the commentary is it just because of how well it's sold and the pr narrative around it is it because it feeds into other existing trends and narratives about like how tech can be used to organize or optimize labor and workforces is it because like there's a real need to improve this or that area and instead of actually improving it they they introduce it to risk pools like what's is there you know room for this beyond the industry talking to itself. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a the industry talking to itself is where we can really see the mask come off, right? Yeah, so I was digging right. into, um, and I, I want to, I want to thank. I don't know, I don't know. Some someone tweeted at me when I was tweeting about the Netrodyne system, and I was speculating about like, you know. The, the usage of this for insurance is just around the corner, right? Like how long until the pivot actually happens? And someone sent me a, a, a link from, from Netrodyne's um, website, which was a, an article they had posted about how this was January of 2020. So, you know, over, over almost two years ago now um, that they've been on this tip. And the article is called How Insurers Are Adopting Transportation Safety Technology. And this is really a, a B2B, business to business kind of communication here that's laying out the case for 
for the Netrodyne system um, as the solution that insurers are looking for. Um, and as we've laid out before, are already using similar technologies and in varying degrees. You you really got to read the trade rags and you really got to read the B2B copy to see how these real how the real business cases for these technologies are are laid out, right? Like uh, the marketing copy for these technologies, the consumer and customer oriented copy is always about like surprise discounts on your premium, right? Like you Ed, you drove really well. Uh, this month. And so we're going to knock, you know, 3% off your premium pricing as a, as a nice little reward. You get a gold star. You get a gold star. And like the training videos, uh, aimed at like drivers and the, the trucking companies are always about like improved safety. You know, that's all the marketing pitch. The, the Amazon spokesperson, plab, pablum and bullshit. But when it's just businesses talking to businesses and you can really see this in the, like these B2B articles. Um, and you can see it even more so, uh, when you go to like the trade conferences and the industry, like the, you know, where, where they've got, you know, booths and presentations and brochures and, you know, they're really just doing B, they're, they're, they're wheeling and dealing. They're doing B2B communication. And then that's when you can really see why this matters. And it gets to what we talked about at the top of the show. So I'm going to quote from this Netrodyne article on insurance, where they say, to offset some of the liability, insurance companies are adopting transportation safety technology to guide their policy decisions. In the insurance market, leveraging new technology is proving to be valuable, not just to insurers who now have better ways of collecting evidence to protect themselves from disputable claims, but also for transportation companies. Some insurers offer trucking companies significant discounts in exchange for data collected using transportation safety technology. This is, this is the real purpose here, right? It's right that collecting evidence to protect themselves from disputable claims. In other words, how can we use data and video evidence, uh, which is admissible in law, uh, in, in, in courts, uh, to, to deny people claims, to say, it's not our fault, it's your fault. I'm not going to pay that. It's all about protecting the insurer's margins. That's what it really comes down to, right? That's the real business case here. It's about protecting companies like Amazon from liability. And it's about uh, ensuring that insurance companies uh, can maintain higher margins and deny claims. Many people died of fucking heart attacks for that. That's a good question, Jeremy. That's another thing a lot of folks don't tend to think about is the, the amount of overwhelming stress that being poor has. So, like, when you get hit with a letter, like, you know, imagine being poor and having, like, 20 cents in your checking account and having them send you a letter telling them that you're being investigated for, like, fraud for your benefits. Pretty stressful. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the States, imagine, like, you have no money and the IRS just sent you a letter telling you that they're auditing you. You know, all it takes is a little something like that. Just, just fucking already call someone probably in terrible health anyway, you know? So like the likelihood of someone dying of a fucking heart attack for a clerical error is pretty fucking high. Oh yeah. I mean, there are lots of instances of, around like robo debt in Australia of people just like, uh, the, 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 the financial shock causes of, of getting a notification that you owe hundreds or thousands of dollars. That's what it really comes down to with a system like 
like Metrodyne. And and it's it's we have to ask that bigger question here of like what what's the actual like business case um, of this? Like obviously, uh, you know, increasing surveillance and control of labor is always uh, uh, an obsession of capital. But I think it becomes even more insidious uh, when when like in, when insurers get in the mix, when questions around liability get in the mix, uh, because that's the real self-interest here, right? Talk about self-interestedness. Uh, that this is self-preservation, right? This is Amazon doing self-preservation, and this is insurance companies doing self-interest around wanting to deny claims and increase premiums and win against uh, court cases. Uh, you know, uh, this Netrodine article. You know, there, there's this like saying in um, uh, the insurance sector around "quote unquote" nuclear verdicts, right? And a, a nuclear verdict what the is, fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so a nuclear verdict is when like a jury awards in excess of ten million dollars to uh, against uh, like a like a insurance company or a trucking company or something um, when there's a proof that you know either like they've been doing like you know, uh, massive negligence or, or th- something like that, right? And so Netrodyne talks about how, uh, you know, they say, in fact, from all indication, trucking insurance rates may continue to climb thanks to factors such as increases in road traffic accidents caused by speeding, distracted driving, or vehicle-related faults. Weirdly, none of the causes of those uh, symptoms are talked about as to like, why are drivers speeding? Uh, why are there vehicle-related faults? Are you are you not doing maintenance on cars? Are you uh, putting uh, you know inhumanly uh, impossible you know productivity metrics on drivers? No, 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 no. The problem is always the individual drivers uh, behaving uh, reckless in a reckless way. If only we could control their movements more. Finally, then we would be able to keep everybody safe. Obviously. Yeah, and if we can't control their movements more finely, then at least we can collect evidence uh, 24-7 to show that it's not our fault, that it's their fault, right? Exactly. Exactly. Isn't that what we all want? We just want it to be safe, everyone to be safer, but also know that they're fucking up. Well, they, they want to point at the times that you did fuck up and say, well, you know, this time they fucked up, but look at their track record. They fucked up all the time. So this, I think this is more right. on them than it is on us. It's a about creating uh, evidence, a, con- a constant file of evidence against every individual driver. And it works. I mean, it works pretty well as a, as a method for ensuring that, you know, not only are the drivers pushed to the absolute limit as part of the business model, right? But that you also end up creating policies as a company to ensure that the liability also keeps falling down on the drivers, even if you recognize, oh, like the the didacts I'm supposed to follow from this contracting company are making my drivers like risk their lives so that they can hit the quotas and so that they can also hit reduce the number of distracted driving incidents so that they can get their bonus. Maybe I should stop? No, I won't. This this is the real nut graph of this uh, Netrodyne article about its you know applications for insurance they say quote and here they're talking about the you know all the data collected from its quad camera machine vision system 
Um, this data can be used as evidence when a false claim is made. A vision-based technological approach could be the difference between quick exoneration for the insurance company and a drawn-out legal process that costs millions of dollars. Insurers stand to gain a lot of value by championing the implementation of such systems in trucking fleets across the country. That's what it is about. It's about using this data as evidence for quick exoneration of uh, of the insurance company. It, it, it's absolutely wild. Like, you know, Lauren's piece really points out the day-to-day experiences and consequences of the technology and the faultiness of the technology. But if we look at Netrodyne themselves and how they're actually you know, what their real business case and business model for their technology is. It really is about uh, providing a, a, a powerful tool for insurers to, uh, uh, to, to wield against anybody who might want to come at them. You, you come for the king and you best not miss. And the king happens to be uh, equipped with a HD quad camera, machine vision, uh, artificial intelligence surveillance system. <laughs> you heard of watching your back? My man is watching his 360. <laughs> oh, it, 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 wow, it's absolutely wild. Just wait for that technology to come for all of us because I've seen the way some of these motherfuckers drive. You guys are fucking doomed. <laughs> you guys are going to be paying $500 a month for fucking car insurance. You're going to get dinged every time you don't use your turn signal, which is a lot. Speaking of $500 a month for car insurance, I saw something as well. You know, Elon Musk uh, has made indications that he's interested in like creating a a Tesla insurance product. Of course Uh, he is. Of course he is. I mean, he's not going to do it. Uh, This was just enough. This was just him tweeting nonsense like he usually does. He's not going to do it. But uh, it was a reply that he made uh, in response to to a. like a Tesla fanatic on on Twitter, I think the the guy's uh, Tesla name what or, or Twitter name actually was something like Tesla fanatic, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. But he he tweeted about how uh, the cheapest insurance policy he could find for his Tesla in New York City was five hundred dollars a month because <laughs> insurers are also like. I'm not fucking insuring your fucking automated fireball. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Take that shit elsewhere. Be gone, demon. Be gone. <laughs> so maybe actually insurers are good. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe they're fighting the war against Tesla that we can't. And they can yeah. price them out by never allowing people to actually drive them. And sure. I mean, shit, they wouldn't let the, those Samsung phones on airplanes. Why should they let the uh, Teslas on the interstate? <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right, Jeremy. You're making points. And I don't think there's a real argument against. I was I was driving with my girlfriend recently and uh, we and, and we stopped at a stop, uh, stoplight and there was a Tesla in, like directly in front of us at the stoplight. And I just looked over to her. I was just like, just fucking gun it. Just gun it. Just fucking gun it. <laughs> Did she gun it? No. Oh. I had hopes. We would have censored it if she did. <laughs> we wouldn't have told. Nobody has to know, Jathan. <laughs>
you know, a lot of the things we talked about in our episodes on InsureTech and a lot of things we'll talk about a lot more as I start getting like deeper and deeper in the abyss of doing research on InsureTech. Um, but, you know, it's all these things around like uh, personalizing risk, uh, you know, data sharing, uh, you know, all, all of this stuff around creating these like hyper personalized uh, risk products for insurers, right? That are based on, on your, on data collected from your individual, um, driving record. Uh, you know, your day to day, everyday driving behaviors. And, you know, the, the, the new thing here is, you know, the, the kind of space that they're making for themselves in terms of innovation with Netrodyne is that it's a vision based technology, right? It's all about cameras and machine vision and AI. Like that's how they're, trying to market themselves as like uh, a different uh, innovation in the insure tech space. And, you know, it's, it's just telling that they are mark, you know, rolling it out a lot with trucking fleets, which uh, where drivers don't have a choice, but to sign the biometric consent form, right? That makes the medicine go down a bit easier compared to like you or me or Jeremy, uh, you know, state farm telling us that, you know, this is what you have to put in your car to drive, right? Like it won't be so coercive at first. It'll all, it'll be all about, uh, the reward system, right? It will be marketed towards a, you will get a discount on your premium if you do this. You know, that's how you know, they use the stick with workers, with, with consumers. They, they need to use the carrot, but either way, luxury surveillance or coerced surveillance. It's still all the same fucking surveillance by the same fucking companies for the same fucking reasons. No, but it's different because we're taking care of the workers and we're interested in their well-being. And we're also interested in minimizing the amount of money that leaves people's hands because of unsafe driving decisions. Is it fair that we have a society where you pay for other people's decisions to be uh, unsafe, uh, Jathan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see, I can, I saw that. I saw a vein pop. Maybe we start wrapping it up here with with the, that what I found that was uh, the 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 most weird like what's going to come next out of this Netrodyne is that they're not just stopping there because lest we forget the camera is recording constantly right uh, this like 260 degree you know, coverage which also means as Naturedyne puts it, insurance carriers can also benefit from driver eye road data, which provides insights on past events that can be used to make future decisions. In addition to mapping over 1 million unique miles of U.S. roads, Netrodyne is creating a solid database from which trends and patterns regarding accidents and changing road conditions can be studied. Yet, lest we forget that this camera is not just like recording, you know, recording uh, people driving and then deleting that information. Hell no. They are creating, they have, they are marketing a product called Netrodyne HD Maps, um, which are, are, so they, they are claiming to uh, create what they call, quote, 
rich, highly accurate content in real time, critical to the success of development of 3D HD maps and ultimately autonomous vehicles. So they are selling the data that they collect from all of these truck fleets that have Netrodyne equipped, you know, driving, you know, over a million unique miles, driving many of these miles, many millions of times repeated, right? They are through that, they are creating these like hyper detailed HD maps of the, of roadways in cities, towns, countrysides around the United States. And, you know, as they go international, other places, which, you know, they, and what are they going to do with that data? Obviously, you know, they're going to sell it, right? They're going to sell it to companies like Tesla or Waymo that want to build these HD maps of places in order to train autonomous vehicles. They're going to sell it to insurers that want to use these maps and these uh, uh, this this log of quote unquote events uh, in order to move from a reactive insurance model to a predictive and preemptive insurance model, right? It's all about you know that I mean this is how insurance risk assessment works, right? It's all about taking historical data to say and what's the risk of something uh, similar happening in the future. Insurance companies are uh, intensely interested in using these types of technologies, using these types of databases to create these predictive uh, risk assessments and, and predictive insurance products. At, at the end of the day, it's it's not about, you know, while they're marketing these, these um, technologies right now about uh, your real-time driving behavior, right? Your risk assessment reflects your real-time driving behavior. I think we need to start thinking about it more like predictive policing, right? In terms of like creating hotspots and heat lists around like, you know, you will start getting punished or rewarded, um, mostly punished, uh, for things you haven't done yet because their predictive model says based on when and where you drive and the you know events that have been categorized in these places you are you know 90% likely to have an accident in the next 14 days so we are going to um one let you know uh like like the Chicago police department did with their hotspot or with their heat list where they went to people who hadn't committed any crimes but they're predictive modeling said this person is likely to uh, uh, commit a crime in the next 14 days. So they went and knocked on people's doors and said, hey, we know you haven't committed any crimes yet, but you're probably going to very soon. So just, just, just know we have our eye on you. We happen to have a system that our insurers lovingly created. We're not going to tell you how it works, but it said that, you know, hey, you're going to do a thought crime, <laughs> all right? You're going to run a red light. And, you know, maybe you're not going to kill somebody, but you're going to run a red light. And and there's something about you, the, the shading, the lighting in this room. I'm not really sure what it is, you know, what our algorithm is picking up, but it's saying, you know, we got to charge you extra. Importantly, unbiased algorithm. Right, unbiased algorithm that cannot see color but can infer it <laughs> I'm happy yeah, I can definitely infer it yeah this uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to market their like machine vision as a as a black and white vision it's colorblind but it only sees black and white <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the exact opposite of Michael Jackson's blacker and white song yeah. 
I'm ready for so, it. It matters if you're black or white. <laughs> it matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, they're, they're just that is what's coming down the track with these with these kinds of technologies like Netrodyne. And I mean just a big shout out to Lauren's reporting for turning me on to this company who I hadn't heard about. And lo and behold, the uh, the connection here with with our interest on TMK, but in particular my research project on insure our insurance is just like it's 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 a perfect circle overlap. <laughs> you know, it's it's a Venn diagram of two circles that are perfectly overlapped. And and it's beautiful. beautiful, beautiful. Definitely, definitely, definitely a company to you know they're keeping their eye on you, and in return, I'm keep my eye on them. Who watches the watcher? Me. That's what we're always Me. saying. Here. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's literally Jake. <laughs> I think that'll p- bring to a close. So, Netrodyne, congratulations on entering the pantheon of TMK enemies. Uh, you know, a, a, a very uh, a top spot for you in the in this pantheon we're proud we're proud of you keep up the work we are going to be checking in with you and maybe we'll cross paths in my inbox um when uh you uh if i report on you and you're mad at me who knows see you in another life brother please 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 let me know (laughs) oh yes i will i I want to be clear i will tell jason everything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> off the record means off the journalist record, but not off the pod. You will, we will talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Not off the record does not mean out of the boys chat. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to find more TMK episodes every single week at patreon.com slash this machine kills. Um, this week is going to be a really great episode uh, because it's going to be, we're going to be kicking off our, our next installment of the TMK book club. Uh, we'll, uh, the first episode of that will be this week um, on Wendy HK Chun's uh, really excellent classic uh, book in on critical theory and new media studies called Control and Freedom, Power and Paranoia in the Age of Fiber Optics. Um, that's going to be really excellent. So find us on the Patreon feed for, for that episode and all the ones to follow after. And not to mention a giant backlog of, of, of something like 50 premium episodes um, that you will have access to by subscribing. That's right. $5 a month. So find us there. Uh, and until then, we'll talk to you later. Adios.
Metrodyne. Sounds like a toothpaste for people uh, with sensitive teeth. <laughs> 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 it's